0: Putting our hearts into something we really care about and then sharing that with the world can be one of the biggest triggers of self-doubt. There are no guarantees and we have absolutely no control over how we are received by the world. So I just want you to know how grateful I am to you for listening, for commenting, for sending your love for this podcast. I can hardly believe that we've just had 70,000 downloads. I'm so heartened to know that this podcast is helpful to you and it means so much to me to know that you're listening in. And if you want some practical, proven support to navigate through your self-doubt, the autumn class for my group coaching program, Your Self-Belief Map, begins next Monday the 8th of October. We'll follow a methodology I've been developing over the last few years for how to understand, heal, and navigate through your self-doubt. You'll have all the support you can handle. The details for how to enroll are on the Work With Me page on sasspetherick.com. Welcome to Courage and Spice, the podcast for humans with self-doubt. I'm your host, Sass Petherick, and I'm so glad you're here. Jane Reeves is a yoga teacher and holistic life coach who leads sacred yoga retreats in Italy. She spent more than 30 years seeking ways to develop a practice that brings more light, love, and joy into the world. And because she's such a clever sausage, she's just published a book. Heart of Gold, Lessons on the Path of Loving-Kindness is the culmination of a lifetime of teachings and personal practices of loving-kindness. Like Jane, this book is generous, practical, inclusive, and joyous, and I've loved Jane for years. I'm so excited to share her with you all. Jane, welcome to Courage and Spice.
1: Oh, Sass, thank you. I am so excited to be here today.
0: I'm so happy that you're here. It's so cool. (laughs) So um, let's get to know you a little better, and can you tell us uh, what you learned about self-belief as you were growing up?
1: Yes, yes. So I grew up in a really small town in the Midwest, and it really was quite like Pleasantville. (laughs) It really... I mean, and so I had, you know, mom and dad, brother and sister. Um, My parents were both teachers, so we had a fairly academic household. Uh, And I just grew up believing that everything was okay. Uh, I never really had any brushes with esteem issues or anything of that nature until I was 11 years old and my parents got a divorce.
0: And what was that like for you at 11? That's quite a, that's quite a big deal.
1: Yeah, it was quite shattering. Uh, I guess it was really my, you know, my first introduction to pain and suffering Mm. and my first realization that love can end and that uh i may have trouble with trust wow and so i just it was sort of like leading up to that point it was i guess you could call it the the ultimate childhood disruption
0: mm-hmm.
1: for someone who was living a fairly quote unquote normal you know american midwestern life
0: i think that's so interesting that you call it a disruption and it disrupted your ability to trust Mm. and that love, love can end.
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: I could, it, it was interesting because I
1: was a pretty deep little 11 year old girl and I saw both of my parents pain over the divorce and I tried really hard to have a lot of compassion for both of them. And I think that was when the seeds of my own practices and loving kindness really were planted
0: you mm-hmm. well, tell us a bit about love and kindness like I'm I've just finished your book about an hour before we um before we got on this call and it's so good Jane
1: it's so good <laughs> oh wow thank you so much Seth.
0: we have copies to give away so I'm, we're going to talk a bit more about that soon but can you tell us a little bit about love and kindness like what it is and what it means to you
1: mm, I'd love to so my Entry into loving kindness sort of happened in my teenage years when I was kind of questioning everything that was happening around me. I, you know, grew up in the 70s. So there was this big, huge drug culture. And I was kind of like not really into it. And I was looking for other ways of being. And I was also suffering pretty much because of all the shenanigans that were happening in my family of origin. And so I sort of started studying Buddhism at a really young age. And even though I had Christian upbringing, I was really fascinated by the principles of Buddhism that were really all about just being with reality. Mm -hmm. And so... My own practices in loving kindness started quite young, but I didn't really know how to name that or claim that. And then as I grew older and my practices deepened, I was able to look back at that and say, okay, that's what that is. That's what that was. And so really how I would define loving kindness is that way that we can really hold that tender hearted space for our own pain and suffering. Mm -hmm. And come to that place where we actually have compassion for our suffering when we come right up against those edges that are so uncomfortable,
0: you know what you know what i'm saying i I think so yeah well and and i I think that's the thing that we've talked about as well is this idea that there's never an end to suffering exactly so how does um How does loving kindness help us? If there's no end to suffering, if there's no end to that personal pain and where that growth happens, how does loving kindness help us?
1: Well, I think it shelters us from the storm. I mean, if you think about it, just based on what you said, if, if suffering never ends, which we all know intellectually, suffering does never end, but we still don't really believe that. Okay, so we know it, but we don't practice it or believe it. We actually think that if we just do these certain things and make these adjustments in life, then suffering will end. And so when we're truly practicing loving kindness, what we're realizing is that it's this moment right now that is what we have to appreciate and celebrate life. So this is it. This is it right now. You and I on this podcast right now. This is our life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even just as you're, as you're explaining this, I'm thinking about how our entire culture is set up to deny suffering. Absolutely. We're all about the pursuit of happiness and, and in Western culture, that means youth and beauty. Absolutely.
1: And we're completely distracted by it, right? So in order to even dive into the essence of what a loving kindness practice would look like, we have to be somewhat undistracted. And that's very difficult. Okay. Because we're all searching for the answers. We're all sort of not sure how to practice self-love. We're reading about it. We're kind of there's some there's some heightened awareness about it, but we're not really sure exactly what it means or how to do it. Mm. And I feel like with loving kindness, its essence is really just sort of coming home to ourself. And really checking in and then being able to sit with what's ever happening without numbing out or feeling like we're just terribly broken.
0: Yeah, I think that, that has been, for me, the hardest thing in the world is to just be with myself. That has been <laughs> like, that took me most of my adult life. I'm pretty, I'm. it's a practice for me now. So I'm just, it's a muscle that I've developed. Mm-hmm. But being able to just be with myself in, in the quiet and let everything that's there be there. It's freaking hard work.
1: It's super hard work and it's super profound. Yeah. And I, I see this on all of my retreats that are my extended retreats in Italy in particular, where women will literally come to me on day two or three and, and they'll just be tearful, joyful. And they'll let me know that, you know, Jane, this is the first time in 15 or 20 years where I actually sat with myself. Yeah. And I really was able to listen to what's happening there and not have to skip ahead to the next thing and say, oh, maybe someday I can really know myself. And so circling back to the question, what is loving kindness? I would say loving kindness is also a way way that we, we enter into our own domain and who we really are on the deepest levels. Yeah.
0: So as I hear you say that, I just think, I just feel really like an exhale. I feel an exhale. Ah, oh,
1: yes. Exhale. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, we're so geared for the inhale, right? Yeah. I mean, even, even as a yoga teacher, like I, I taught all of my students that, you know, energy comes in through the front of us, through the front of our bodies with our eyes with our breathing with our chest our lungs particularly women are very sensitive around their chest area and it's because we are such a forward motion culture mm-hmm. so we're always receiving from the front end and so it's that it's that heightened sense of stress that's almost like a like an inhale that feels like it can't complete itself
0: mm-hmm.
1: so then when we really pause into the exhale that too is a form of loving kindness because we're coming home to ourselves where there is that sort of feeling of ease, or it's almost like sweet relief.
0: It is sweet relief. Mm, yeah. and, and you know, I remember you saying that to me when we practiced yoga together um, that about this front body and how we, we take the, in, the world in through our through our front bodies. And I just remember thinking, well, that's a freaking design flaw because that's the softest, <laughs> most vulnerable part, mm-hmm. you know?
1: And then everything goes to the back and sort of stays there. So we have kind of this yin-yang quality that we're always experiencing in our bodies. And so through yoga, we're able to release through the back body all the tension that enters in through the front body. So that's the reason to practice yoga, Sass. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm practicing, really, in all honesty, and I know we we kind of use this phrase quite, we throw it around like confetti, but um, uh, I went to Italy to learn yoga with Jane uh, earlier this year, and it really was life-changing, and mm. I've thought a lot, a lot about why it was so, why it changed me, and I think it's because you showed me how to be in my body, in a way that felt so compassionate and accepting, there was kind of nowhere for me to hide.
1: Mm, I love that. That just, that means the world to me, that you had that experience and that you can express it.
0: Mm, mm. Well, and I was reading this, I loved this line from your book. When we give ourselves permission to receive love, even when frustrations with our practice arise, we experience a softening. Oh, yeah. And I just love, it gives me chills even to read that because Mm. I remember lying on the floor of a wine cellar (laughs) and we were practicing hip openers which I didn't even really know what that was until that moment and you just said let mama Italy hold you and I just started crying and I couldn't stop oh
1: that's beautiful
0: and and And, there's something about that softening like just to be held that was so profound
1: and that is that is exactly what it is that happens in Italy it is. It is the ultimate place for loving kindness.
0: Well, so you talk about this a lot in your book about the relationship that you have with Italy and how it's probably quite, uh, it's probably lifetimes old. This, this <laughs> bond you have. Tell us a little bit about Italy. Why is Italy so important to you?
1: Mm. Well, I came to Italy for the first time about 25 years ago, when I was a much younger woman. And I was quite wound up in my life. uh, Just really into my uh, pleasing type behaviors. And I came to Italy, and I literally laid down on the ground. And I wept. And I just let Mama Italy hold me. And I realized for the first time in my adult life, that I was just completely over-efforting all the time. And I just let that feeling of grief come out of my body. And it was it was life-changing because I realized that I wanted something else for my own life. And I realized that I was completely... Uh, in a, in, in good company in this feeling. And that I, all the women I knew were also doing this as well. Like we were all doing it together and I wanted to learn how to untether that part about what I was doing in terms of over efforting to get my own happiness needs met. And while I was doing that, I was also teaching yoga and I was, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? And so I was meeting, I was meeting, uh, just, you know, beautiful people in real settings, you know, Mm -hmm. people that had heartbreak, people that were recovering alcoholics, people that were uh, dealing with cancer, people that were dealing with their bodies, people that were dealing with all sorts of hurt, pain and suffering. And it was that was my entry into being a yoga teacher. It was that feeling of really seeing just the woundedness of our humanity, Mm -hmm. and then really helping people understand how to be able to reflect on their own humanity and to be able to give themselves lots of compassion for their process, that to me in that moment, in those moments, it was loving kindness that was going to be the way in.
0: See, as I hear you describe this and, and you, you write so beautifully about this, that your relationship with yoga is decades, decades old. And like you've been practicing since the 1980s. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and, and I say that because I think it gives some context for those of us who, whose relationship with yoga may just be the kind of young, beautiful people on oh, Instagram. Yeah.
1: Which, well, yoga is such yeah. a weird culture. I mean, yeah. it's. But it hasn't gangster. always been that way. No, 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 it's gone through so many iterations in the last few decades, but it's you know so i 've been doing yoga for like forty years yeah or or should I say practicing yoga really, because it is just an ongoing practice and a way of coming home to our bodies, and if we can just take all the yoga culture out of it and just really get down to the essence of what yoga is, which is really just love and kindness in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I teach and that's what I want for yoga. Uh, I tend to have to kind of put blinders on when I look into the yoga culture and how people feel um, almost separated from a yoga practice if they look at it through the, like you say, youth and beauty culture.
0: Mm.
1: And there's so much more depth to it if we can just take all that imagery and put it aside.
0: Yeah, and I guess to add to that, I'm – all about youth and beauty <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to present an idea that there's something something wrong with that but I think there is a commercialization of yoga that's happened um, and because of that there is this sort of perception of who yoga is for and how you need to look in order to experience yoga and what I love about the way you teach it is that that is just that doesn't even get a look in. It's nothing to it's nothing to do with how you look and and I know you said like even the the yoga studio you built from scratch had no mirrors in it.
1: It did not. It did not because I wanted people to feel it from the inside out. So my first yoga studio was called 360 Yoga and the tagline was Yoga from the inside out. Mm. And it it and I did have a lot of young and beautiful people coming to that studio, but still it doesn't. It 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 all comes together so beautifully when people can really know themselves from that inside out p- position. Whether they're young, whether they're beautiful, what any any age, any condition. What we learn when we practice like that is that youth is about spirit and energy, mm-hmm. and that doesn't. That's ageless. That's timeless. And then beauty is. It's spiritual. Beauty is a spiritual quality. So it's not necessarily a definition of how you look, how I look, how somebody else looks, right? Yeah. So we can take those two terms, youth and beauty, and really sort of understand them on a real level.
0: Mm-hmm. It's a lot more fun, right? It, it really <laughs> It makes space. It creates space for those mm. of us who aren't young um, or who don't perhaps conform to um, our culture's idea of what beauty is. Exactly. well, Sass, in fact,
1: in most of my yoga classes now, I am the oldest person there yeah. Yeah. as I approach a bigger number in the fall. And so And so for me now as a yoga teacher, I, I see yoga as not, not like a uh, "Oh, I wish I could do yoga. I really need to uh, make time for that for me. It's sort of essential. Yeah. It's almost like brushing my teeth or breathing. Mm-hmm. It's just I have to do my yoga now because it's really just w- what makes my body work every day.
0: Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, and as I'm kind of developing my practice and trying some stuff out, I'm finding that too. Like I actually really look forward to it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's what happens when you really dive into your own practice and you're listening to your own voice and your own heart and what you really want out of it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I love that it's a kind of like solo practice as well. Like I don't go to classes. I just um, I just do what, what you showed me uh, and I follow some videos online and that works for me and I just do it in my pajamas. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that's the best way with your cat yeah, over the in the cat, corner watching. Oh, my watching. God, the animals love people practicing yoga.
1: They absolutely adore it. And yeah. truly every yoga teacher – in my opinion, should really have the view that while we're teaching a class, community's wonderful and gathering is wonderful, but we're really teaching our students to practice solo. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's where it's really, your mat and your own practice is where you're really going to come alive with it.
0: Yeah. And it is that, that time to just be with yourself. Completely. Yeah. Well, and and I love this because you talk in your book about the three pillars of loving kindness, um, love for self, love for others, and love for the world. And you say mm-hmm. that we really need um, we really need to develop those pillars in that order. So, love for the self first. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about why you think that's important and and really how we do that?
1: Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like if if you look at how we relate to ourselves in the world at large, if we don't have that basic understanding about who we really are, then we can't really love each other. But if we don't really understand how to love ourselves, then we can't really love anyone. And this sounds a little bit simplistic, but think about it. For so long in the world, people have kind of thought that, what they should do first is serve others, right? And then serve self last. And I think there's some truth to that being a practice that works in some settings, but ultimately the only way that we can really give of ourselves completely to another and love completely is to first cherish ourselves almost like a newborn baby, and so it's that really beautiful, that sort of softening and that tender heart that we give to ourselves, and that gives us so much strength and so much intelligence. And it's really, really just like this beautiful and lovely place of grounding, where then we can plant seeds.
0: Well, and and I'm thinking about the like the reasons why we don't show ourselves compassion, and what mm. I've what I've seen is particularly in the, the, with the women I work with, there is this sense that I can't rest or take care of myself until I've earned it. Um, mm. And there is this utter fear of ever being seen as selfish.
1: Totally. I mean, in my in my generation, I remember as a child, my mom always used to say to me, whenever I announced that I was doing something for myself, my mom would say, you're being selfish. Wow. And so it was really a head trip. And so I believe that that's what she was taught. Right. So if you did something for yourself, then and selfish meant negative. That was Mm -hmm. a negative connotation. So somewhere along the line, I realized that being selfish actually meant something really good for me. Yeah. (laughs) And so and it didn't mean that I couldn't be kind or generous. Right. So acts of generosity can only come from someone who is selfish enough to take really, really, really good care of their own life.
0: That's certainly something I'm continuing to learn. And this idea that there is always going to be some tension, for me anyway, um, between taking care of my own needs and wanting to take care of other people or or to not have people disappointed in me.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And
0: And can I just be with that? Be with that tension. Show myself some love, and let it be there.
1: Mm-hmm. And I mean,
0: it's beautiful. We're not really taught that as children.
1: Yeah. So we're taught to, you know, be good at school and to behave, right, and to avoid dangerous things. Mm-hmm. So if we can really have a lot of compassion for our own process, in that as adults, we're we're basically rebirthing ourselves. We're basically relearning how to be. A person of loving kindness in the world,
0: mm-hmm. and that might be a a different person to what our parents would have wanted for us.
1: Absolutely,
0: and and we t- and I say that because I know so many people will be like, "Well, yeah, I'm a grown up, of course," but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but <laughs> I know I know how prevalent those inherited beliefs about what it means to be a good person, how how kind of insidious they are, how they sometimes become almost unconscious. They're just the way mm-hmm. we show up in the world and we don't ever really question, is this me or is this my mum talking?
1: hmm Well it's just it's we're deeply habituated mm-hmm. to you know, we're we're sort of parenting culture, we're parenting sometimes family of origin, you know, we're parent we're parroting peers and so I think circling back to the question you asked me about how did I, how, how did I sort of come to or embrace loving kindness in Italy? And what does Italy mean to me? It was there that I really realized that I was doing that. right? And, you know, and so I was really diving into my own process and my own sort of maturity as an adult woman. And, you know, really looking at who do I really want to be? What do I really want out of this life?
0: There is this other um, concept that you mentioned uh, um, called Shenpa, I think, mm-hmm. um, which is about, well, do tell us about that, about um, how, we, how we are in relation with others.
1: Mm-hmm. So Shenpa is a Tibetan word, and it means getting hooked or triggered. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's really, it comes out of a traditional Buddhist teaching. And how it works is that we, we all have these really uncomfortable triggers and responses. And they happen all the time. They happen daily for all of us. It's just a human condition. And so what happens is the the trigger comes in and we have in that moment, we have uh, just, there's literally two or three seconds before we either react, which is also called taking the bait. Mm-hmm. or we can sort of step out of reactivity and do something else. So in Shenpa, we're really learning or training or practicing how to take it into another direction and how to not have that habitual reaction that causes us and usually the people around us more suffering. And so this is really at the core essence of loving kindness Is that and at the core essence of meditation is that that slowing down process in meditation helps us to really see how we react and how we cause ourselves suffering. And so, but it's not like a self-improvement plan that, ooh, we have to do this now in order to be this. It's more like we're holding loving kindness in our heart and holding that space to just even witness how that process of Shenpa works.
0: Because this is the thing that I'm finding is that the more I know about loving kindness and particularly the conversations that you and I have had, is that it's actually quite a proactive and radical way of being in the world.
1: Completely. And I was listening to uh, an interview with Cory Booker on On Being recently. Yes. And it was brilliant. Did you listen? I
0: did. I was just mm. – I have written that. I've just written Cory Booker down on my notepad. <laughs> That's hilarious. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. So
1: he he basically really – says what I believe, which is it's, it's daring to practice loving kindness. It's absolutely daring and absolutely necessary.
0: Yeah. Well, and I love what he says when he is dealing with, um, like citizens, constituents who are kind of coming to him and saying, why aren't you doing something? They they have a really like genuine injustice that they want to let him Mm -hmm. know about. And he talks about how He just stands there and he listens and he is present to them. And the whole time in his mind, he is saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. Mm -hmm. I thought that was so powerful. And
1: that's, that's, it's, I I would call that loving kindness activism. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think a lot of people might think, ooh, loving kindness, what does it really mean? Or uh, is that passive or is it what we call spiritual bypassing?
0: And I Mm. think it's just
1: completely the opposite.
0: Yeah. That's what I originally kind of thought it was. I was a bit like, really? Isn't this just Mm -hmm. a bit Um, Mm wishy-washy? But that idea... the the, the spiritual bypass that concept is really about it's things like offering other people kind of thoughts and prayers that make us feel like we're being supportive but without Mm. requiring that we get our hands dirty exactly (laughs) right but loving kindness is actually so active you are right there with the person you just don't necessarily believe the suffering story that they are locked into
1: Completely. And it doesn't mean you're pulling the wool over your or anyone else's eyes about what's really happening in our society.
0: Yeah. You're being with the reality that it is kind of shitty sometimes.
1: There is. And I think for a lot of people, there's so much despair in the world. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I know this in my work as a coach. There's a lot of people that that are in deep despair. Mm -hmm. And we really need to address that. And as a a society and a culture, I believe in all of my heart that loving kindness is a way to soften and to heal that despair.
0: Yeah, because if we can be with it and not shove anything in on top of it, like drink or scrolling or sex or gambling or shopping or whatever, if we can just be with the suffering, we realize that something else is created within that.
1: It It is. And it creates a feeling of hopefulness. Yeah. And so I don't call it dopey hope. Yeah. It's just hopefulness is that feeling that it's really going to be OK and that we can handle it. And we still need that. I mean, I even though people may say, oh, gosh, the world is just, you know, it's totally going to hell in a handbasket. We really can't give up Mm. right we we, can't give up planet b (laughs) we know we can't give up yeah and so to me loving kindness is a way of not giving up
0: you're reminding me of one of the really powerful moments that kind of knocked me for six actually in um (laughs) in italy where Mm. you shared this idea that you don't really mind what happens
1: Mm. i love that one
0: can you tell me more say more about that yes
1: Yes, yes. So for about 10 years, I mentored with this wonderful man in Minneapolis, Minnesota, named Larry, who, uh, had, he had, he was HIV positive and he had become a Buddhist monk Mm -hmm. and he became a very, very dear, dear friend of mine. And he was brilliant. And he, we would get into these discussions and he would be teaching me and tears would come and you know i would share struggles and he would say you know jane if you can learn how to not mind what happens it's going to be a lot better mm-hmm. and at first i thought that's very simplistic mm-hmm. and are, what do you, do you mean i should just ignore things And then I learned over the years of working with him that that is not at all what he meant. He didn't mean that I should ignore really big, important things. What he meant is that I've got it. I am enough. I can handle it. And that when I say I don't mind what happens, it means that I'm confident Mm -hmm. in my own ability to give myself loving kindness.
0: So since you shared that with me. I have been trying that has been my practice really for the last few months since we we were together. And I've been thinking about what that releases me from and it is control. Absolutely. Like needing to control the outcome, needing to control how people see me, um needing mm-hmm. things to go a certain way. It's like it is a liberating way of being in the world.
1: Well so we we don't really get impermanence. I mean we we see the word or we, whatever, but basically everything is impermanent, correct? Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that we have control over, really.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so when we say, I don't mind what happens, we're acknowledging that truth mm-hmm. and we're opening the door a little bit wider to really just hold a lot of compassionate space for our own process and for all the people in the world.
0: As I'm as I'm practicing this, the other thing that has come into this space of not minding what happens or practicing not minding what happens, because I'm not there yet, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, is a that, exactly, it's a lifetime exactly. practice. Exactly, um, exactly. But what I've also noticed is that there is this new idea that's been bubbling away for me. What if the suffering is necessary?
1: Mm, I love that. Mm and it
0: reminds me of something
1: that larry my buddhist teacher told me He's, he he said who are you not to suffer jane who who what what makes what makes you think yeah. and then and then it wasn't like it wasn't really sort of a tough love thing it was more like learning how to have healthy humility yeah just really being able to kind of sit with yourself
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and feel into your own humanity mm-hmm
0: because well, this is what being alive is. Yes. It comes with some suffering, comes with some yes. stuff that happens that you wish didn't. It does. Some circumstances that are tremendously difficult.
1: It's like one of my favorite teachers used to say when we were, he was leading us in meditation, he would say, so I want you to thank everything that comes to you. I want you to thank jealousy, fear, pain, joy love suffering i want you to thank all of it mm-hmm. and just let that be part of who you are
0: mm-hmm.
1: don't deny it don't deny those parts of yourself
0: mm-hmm. well and and i think that is what ha- when we do deny those parts of ourselves we mm-hmm. push them down and we don't want them to be there but that doesn't mean they are not there
1: they're always there mm-hmm. And I think, through the practice of loving kindness, we can really love them, yeah, we can love them home
0: and that is what when i when I think about my work about um claiming your shadows
1: like mm. just just
0: owning owning your shadows and and kind of claiming your light, like the only way to do that is to be with all of the parts of you
1: I love that, and I love how you say owning. Owning my messy bits.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Own your messy bits. That's the only (laughs) way forward. (laughs) So, um, Jane has very, very generously given us five copies of Heart of Gold, Lessons on Love and Kindness, to give away. So if you're listening in thinking, this woman is speaking my language, I want to know more, uh, just follow Jane on Instagram. Her Instagram name is at Radiant Jane. And just leave a heart on a on a post you love. Um, we'll choose five people's names. Um, that have followed Jane since the um, since the recording goes out, and we'll let you know the winners of the books, uh, and we'll post them to anywhere in the world with some with some lo- lovely kind treats included. So, um, mm. so if you'd I like a it. copy, just um, just go follow Jane on Instagram, and good things could come your way. So, Jane, I there is a a, a letter that you write to the readers of your book. Uh, And I wonder if, because this book really is, I think it's like a prayer, right? Mm. It's like reading a series of prayers. Because I hear your voice reading this to me. (laughs) And I felt like you were leading me in prayer. And it was beautiful. Mm. Um, But the the letter that you write uh, on page 39 really touched Mm. me. And I wondered if you would be kind enough to read that to everyone listening as a way to close.
1: Mm, I'd love to, dear heart, after all the time you have spent tending to others, now is your time, you are a magnanimous human being and you deserve all of the love and tenderness life has to offer, I give you permission to take your foot off the pedal your body won't tolerate the pedal to the floor stress forever. Your life is too precious not to generate more qualities of equanimity. You need cozy little nooks of inner okayness. You need a place for a respite. Where can you rest, dear one? Your life is not a race to the finish line. You are beautiful just as you are. Your heart, your soul, whatever is emerging as you begin to know yourself, it belongs. Nothing needs changing. Practicing loving kindness is not a life change plan. It is already within you. Sit and know that you have everything within you that you need. You are worthy of all the love you can give yourself in this lifetime. You can love yourself without conditions and without limits. You can start right now. When you forget, you can start again. Every moment that you take your gaze inward and love yourself, is a moment that you are coming home to your true self who you really are and may you know peace in those moments dear heart.
0: Oh, I'm so proud of you for writing this book. I can't wait for people to get their get their hands on it and um and
1: to oh the messy gosh. bits <laughs> oh gosh Sass thank you so much I am so in love with all the work that you do and it was just such a pleasure to spend time with you and become friends with you in Italy and I look forward to so much more and I'm just completely honored that you had me as a guest on your incredible podcast which I love and have listened to every single episode at least once
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man you're the best thank
1: you thank you so much
0: You can subscribe, rate and review Courage and Spice, the podcast for humans with self-doubt, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next time.